Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested and specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the To The Point Podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I am joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And we are joined by a great friend of ours, Dr. Jake Lang. Dr. Lang has been involved in dry eye clinical research and FDA trials for many years, including both medications and therapeutic devices. He writes articles for several publications on the topic and is actively involved in lecturing to colleagues at various meetings locally and nationally. He's a diplomat of the American Board of Optometry, a fellow of the Academy, and adjunct clinical faculty for ICO and for SALIS. He's also the residency coordinator for Associated Eye Care's Optometric Residency Program and is actively involved in lecturing on eye care innovations and participates in ongoing clinical research. Lots of things. He's an amazing guy. We love him. Welcome, Dr. Lang. We are going to talk about thyroid eye disease today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jackie. It's good to see you. Um, You know, we talk a lot about dry eye on this podcast, and you really can't talk about a dry eye patient without also talking about a potential thyroid eye disease patient and their correlation between the two. So that was one of our our plans today is to talk about the thyroid eye disease patient, who that patient is, what they might look like, and kind of go from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, thyroid eye disease is, you know, such a big thing and and a growing concern for optometrists because especially as dry eye patient or practitioners, we want to take the best care of our patients as we can. Um, and one of those roles as dry eye practitioners is really to make sure um, we're not missing any underlying condition that might be causing the patient's symptoms that are manifesting as uh, dry eye disease. Um, we all know how dry eye is rooted in inflammation, and there's so many systemic inflammatory conditions that can affect the eye. We have to, you know, kind of be detectives and use our spidey sense to determine whether, you know, this is just you know, I hate to say run of the mill or regular dry eye because there's so many nuances to this disease, but um, that there's not a bigger fish to fry um, underneath the surface. I think that's a great point. I think as, you know, the technologies have rolled out and um, we've all been really eager to embrace dry eye in our practices, there's a lot of um, dry eye experts or dry eye centers of excellence that have popped up across the country, which is amazing to see. But I think it's important that all of these doctors not only understand the technologies that they're using to treat things like meibomian gland disease, but not to forget the whole patient. Um, so I think thyroid, you know, and thyroid eye disease is a great way to just really kind of say, to almost take a step back when you're looking at your dry eye patients. It's not always um, just situational with screen time and environment. You know, yes, we know things like Sjogren's syndrome, but thyroid, you know, thyroid is a um, hyper, hypo, euthyroid. It, it's, a, I don't know what the numbers are. Maybe you can share that, but, you know, 
there's a lot of my patients that are taking medication for thyroid um, disease. And so I think that, you know, with the introduction of some of um, these new therapeutics, I've, I've learned a lot even about grading scales and understanding thyroid eye disease. So I'm really anxious to hear a little bit more about that from you. For sure. Yeah, I think we all see thyroid patients every day, right? Like every day I'm going to have someone on Synthroid or something, a very common condition um, that we see. But um, when we talk about thyroid eye disease, I've been spending a lot of time kind of reprogramming myself and my you know, residents and um, students that I work with regarding um, Graves' disease um, and thyroid eye disease being two separate things. Um, and I think we can start there when we look at Graves' disease as um, the most common form of hyperthyroidism um, in the United States, at least. Um, the most common form of hyperthyroidism being that Graves' disease where we think, oh, yeah, that's going to have eye problems, but not always. Um, this hyperthyroidism is kind of this autoimmune uh, inflammation that is activating the thyroid, uh, simulating thyroid stimulating hormones. So you have antibodies, thyroid stimulating antibodies, TSI, activating your thyroid. And we don't understand completely why this happens. Some people think it might be from a viral infection or some inflammatory condition that you had or um, whatever happens to make your body make these antibodies, but it starts making these antibodies, stimulating your thyroid, and boom, your thyroid uh, levels go through the roof um, most of the time. Um, there are some patients where actually go hypothyroid and some people that are euthyroid. So really, we kind of think of it as, you know, really should be Graves' thyroid dysfunction, um, but most commonly it's found as a hyperthyroidism. But of those patients with Graves' eye, uh, Graves disease, only 50% of them, or actually, I mean, that's a pretty high number, right? So 50% of them will develop thyroid eye disease sometime in their life. So half of those patients are going to develop thyroid eye disease. And when we talk about thyroid eye disease, we're talking about, again, that um, antibody attacking or stimulating inflammation in the orbit. Um, so it's the most, thyroid eye disease is the most common orbital disease um, that we see. So if there's something wrong with the orbit, just like if something's wrong with dry eye, 85% of the time it's going to be meibomian gland disease, and you can just treat meibomian gland disease all the time and be right 85% of the time. If you were guessing something's wrong with the orbit, most of the time it's going to be thyroid eye disease. That makes me um, kind of think I might need to start, you know, investigating this a little bit more because, you know, in the past year, I would, you know, I've had maybe a, a handful of patients that have been having enough symptoms that we've moved to therapy with um, new therapeutics with Tepeza. But, you know, just like everything else, as you get a drug and you start learning about the disease state, it increases awareness. And then something that might have seemed a little bit uncommon becomes more commonplace in your day to day. So what kind of things, you know, especially when you're teaching residents, you know, what kind of things do you teach them to look for when watering, right? Because I would say watering or maybe redness uh, might be some symptoms that these patients might have that could have that overlap with your dry eye patients. Yeah, the, the warning signs or warning symptoms, right? So um, huge amount of overlap with dry eye symptoms, right? So we're going to have, you know, painful eyes, watery eyes, gritty, light sensitivity, 
in, you know, inflammation, swelling, blurred vision, um, double vision, or you know, uh, diplopia too. So all these things overlap with dry eye. Um, some of the most common symptoms with that the patient is their chief complaint at the diagnosis of their th- diagnosis of their thyroid eye disease. The most common symptom, fifty-seven percent, if you want a number, dryness and grittiness. Um, pain behind the eyes followed it closely with 54% of patients describing pain behind their eyes. So not so much the acute pain, the stabbing pain or the sharp pain that we see a lot of times with dryness, but more pain behind the eye. And then we talk about things like headache, light sensitivity, watering, uh, following up that. If we look down the road with more chronic dry eye patients or chronic thyroid eye disease patients, still their number one complaint is dryness and grittiness, 47%. Um, 43, yeah, those numbers are pretty high, I think. Yeah, they yeah, are. 43% of those chronic patients complain of itchy eyes. Um, and that's something we should think about too. Um, so warning signs that we'll see, again, allergic conjunctivitis that doesn't respond. You know, I think we all know that, you know, mast cell stabilizers and uh, antihistamines and steroids work pretty well for allergic conjunctivitis. So I always tell my you know my residents like if it's not responding, if it's not doing what it should be doing, you have to start opening up your uh, differential and start thinking about other things. So do you then start with labs because those patients already know they have problems with their thyroid most times, I'm assuming, um, or you jump right to imaging? I think it's interesting to do a little bit of both, actually. If you if you know what you're up against and you know they have thyroid eye disease, it it sometimes interesting, not so much their TSH or T3 or T4, like I don't really care about that so much. It's the TSI levels. So that thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin is a lab you can order and it's specific for thyroid eye disease, right? It's going to show you this immunoglobulin that is produced that's causing the problems. Because a lot of these patients will have their thyroid radiated and taken care of and they're on Synthroid now and doing fine. But um, but the uh, the eye stuff might still be going on. So that TSI, I think if there's a lab I'm going to order, that's going to be the one. And and this TSH, T3, T4, 10% of patients uh, with Graves will be euthyroid, that all that stuff's going to be normal, but they're still sick. So 10% of the time you order in your normal thyroid panel and you're going to be wrong. Um, so I find that one useful. I think the imaging is useful. Um, but more and more, I think the new therapeutics just play a role because um, we know they're an option. We can get into that a little bit more. And Yeah, I don't know if you're prepared to talk about it, and it's okay if not, but the CAS grading system, um, you know, just to kind of see, and that might be the start, right? I think it's great, this lab that you're talking about looking for antibodies, but, you know, maybe it's having this questionnaire and scoring the patient to know this is someone that I should be paying more attention to for the risk of thyroid eye disease. Yeah. So CAS score being clinical activity score. Um, so there's a specific clinical activity score you can look up for thyroid. And um, it's similar. I think you can think of it similar to our speed scores, our DQ5 scores. And there's, and there's probably a fair amount of overlap. So if you're using those, you could use that kind of in your brain for uh, their clinical activity score, right? That's their eye clinical activity score. Uh, the other warning signs, orbital congestion. So not really like a conjunctivitis, but congestion in the in the conjunctiva and the orbital tissue. Um, so any conjunctivitis that doesn't respond the way it should, we should have our spidey sense go off about um, 
about uh, thyroid eye disease as well. And that just drives home the point of follow-up with your patients, right? Um, I think that's something that can be so critical for these patients, especially, or some other, you know, sometimes your neuro patients is just, if you're not sure, start a therapy, see them back, reassess. And if it's not moving in the direction you expect, then start thinking outside of the norms for that. Um, but just real quick to talk a little bit more about that clinical activity score. Um, this is a score that um, has seven questions for what's called initial cast. So that is this pain that Dr. Um, Lang's talking about, spontaneous orbital pain, gaze-evoked orbital pain, eyelid swelling that is considered to be active um, due to Graves' eye disease, eyelid urethema, conjunctival redness, again associated with Graves, chemosis, or inflammation of the caruncle, um, which is, so of these you score, um, you know, how many of those seven does your patient have? Um, one point is given for each present of presence of those parameters, and then it's just the sum. So if your score is three out of seven, um, I guess that's pretty consistent with the consideration for thyroid eye disease. Uh, then it goes to look at other things. If you follow that patient after a month to three months, they look at proptosis, which would be one of the more standard things that you'd be thinking of with progressive um, thyroid eye disease. So an increase in two millimeters of your proptosis uh, or any kind of misalignment of the, the eye muscles like he was talking about with diplopia or even a decrease in, in visual acuity. So I will say um, my 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 experience with the, with Tepeza, our therapy, infusion therapy now for Graves' disease and Graves' disease is is a little bit limited. But I do have one patient that I'm sure is similar to patients that you've seen, um, Jake, and I, I think she actually even was sent to me for a dry eye evaluation um, and presented, if I remember correctly, with conjunctival redness and some watering. And we started treatment, you know, at that point, it really did look like it could be dry eye. And then as I was seeing her back, she started eliciting diplopia. And I'm thinking, something is definitely not your standard um, dry eye. Leslie, when you when the patient says diplopia, are you like, can you blink and get that to be single? I would always try this as a student. So I was like, oh my gosh, I really don't want to deal with diplopia. Like, is it making you blink? Support for To The Point comes from Bausch & Lomb. Beautiful and healthy looking eyes? It shouldn't be a compromise. Lumify Eye Illuminations, developed by the experts at Bausch & Lomb exclusively for the sensitive eye area. To cleanse, nourish, and brighten. Lumify Eye Illuminations, only in the eye care aisle. Are, are you sure it doesn't <laughs> go away when you cover your Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely throws a wrench in the schedule, I'll say that. So it's kind of nice when you do bring those patients back to plan accordingly, like we had talked in a previous podcast, you know, maybe you don't want that patient right in the middle of your morning. You might want them to be your first patient after lunch um, so that you have time to kind of get behind when you're, you're doing your spidey sense problem solving. <laughs> um, but so it, what I was really impressed by, so I worked with an orbital specialist in my area to get this woman on Tepeza, the infusion therapy. Um, and I saw her back actually because of, an unrelated side effect that happened soon after that first um, in, infusion. But I was really amazed with how quickly she responded. And that's what I'm sure that you can kind of talk to with your experience too. And, you know, I had her 
you know, basically patched or maybe in like a, in a Fresnel prism at the start of this. And I, I mean, within the first one to maybe two infusions, the diplopia was now managed without any prism. It was really remarkable. Yeah. Isn't that great? Like when we actually can like fix diplopia instead of just um, hoping it goes away when we blink, like uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. So yeah, teprotumumab um, or tepeza uh, came on the came on the scene a couple of years ago now. I think it's already been, um, Jackie, we had brought it up at one of our academy lectures when it was just getting close, but um, really cute, cool medication. It targets um, insulin growth factor one receptor, which um, seems to pair with uh, the sty- thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin and activate fibroblasts and uh, inflammation in the orbit. So that's kind of how it works from my um, lowbrow thinking uh, perspective, but um, really cool results with this um, reduced proptosis, like you had said, um, 83% of patients versus 10% of patients on placebo, um, improved uh, clinical activity score in 70% of patients, diplopia decreased in 70% of patients as well. So um, really seems to work really well. Um, and not everyone is as quick. There's um, eight infusions uh, given over in three weeks in between, or every third week you get an infusion for uh, eight total infusions, and um, the results are pretty impressive. Now, in your state, are you able to work with an infusion center yourself and just order? We could, um, yes. Uh, we would be able to do that in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, I personally like them to have more cooks in the um, stew when it comes to these patients, because it be, is being such a, a systemic condition um, that, you know, I want the endocrinologist involved. And I think there's a place for our oculoplastic specialists. And honestly, we're blessed in the Twin Cities Metro to have some really amazing oculoplastics people. Um, and just like, I can't take care of everything. I don't expect that optometrists should take care of everything that, you know, we're part of the team. So I think this is a really great time for us to be team players um, and play nice with everyone. So that's what I do is I would get them involved and and let them handle it. But I can I can help out with the dry eye and I can, you know, see the patient more often than the oculoplastics person can to help them through that process. Yeah, that's that's what I've done too. I've I've been teaming up with oculoplastics in this area just because um, it seems like the easiest way, and they had the most experience at the time. And I think this launched during COVID because I remember seeing you, Jake, talking about it um, virtually <laughs> um, with your TED talks. Oh yeah, yep, yep, yeah, a lot of a lot of virtual talks, but. Um, it also has a pretty good effect now that uh, it's been out for a while. Tepeza is being used more on chronic patients. So we think about like the early and kind of active phase of this thyroid eye disease and then kind of this chronic where they would call it inactive phase where their clinical activity score is low, um, but they still have the proptosis and the diplopia and the severe dry eye and exposure stuff. And Tepeza has been shown to help those patients too, even patients that have had uh, a thyroid eye disease for 10 years um, that they're treating these patients and getting a really great response. So now that it's been out for a while, we're seeing improvement there, which, you know, really begs the question um, that I kind of want to go back to dry eye. When we think about dry eye, that inflammation is kind of there um, no matter what. 
Um, and the same thing with thyroid eye disease, even though it's been stable for a long time, that inflammation seems to still be there. And there's this activity going on that's messing up our orbits. And, and my kind of feeling from the case series I've seen is it's still there and still going on. And maybe it needs to be treated no matter what. So um, it might, it, we'll see where this goes, but it might be that everyone that's ever had thyroid eye disease needs this drug to get them to a stable place. And then we can deal with things from there. Yeah, definitely an interesting perspective. I think just even with, you know, not to complicate this, but I, I most recently had another dry eye patient that was sent to me. Um, and same thing, watering, I believe was the first presentation and then diplopia started his eye was very proptotic, but it was only one eye. I actually shared his care with a neurologist, neuro-ophthalmologist, who was like, I'm convinced this is thyroid eye disease. Like, it's going to be so great because we'll get him on Depeza. It's going to be great. It's going to fix it all so, you know, so quick. Um, so we get the imaging done, and it came back cavernous sinus fistula. Which you I'm told thinking, me about this one. This is not your typical dry eye referral. But it definitely gets you thinking, you know, not only does dry eye make your eye water, <laughs> that's what I'm learning. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. I had a similar case last week that was sent um, from an optometrist for left eye dryness, right? So monocular dry eye. And uh, he had a lot of dermatochelasis that was hiding his proptosis on the one side. And if you didn't just sit and stare at him while he talked to you, and I was like, left eye, left eye, left eye, left eye, and I'm just staring down that left eye. Because of his dermatochelasis, I don't think I would have caught it just, you know, at first glance. So something that the spidey sense has to go up when that happens. So Leslie, the reason I was asking about is your, were your patients dry eye symptoms improved is because we know, you know, just because they have thyroid eye disease doesn't mean they can't also have dry eye. And so I think that, you know, to come full circle with this, I, I think it's a good point to um, sort of start with this, to, to have that at, at top of mind. I mean, I think I felt the same way about Oxervate when that got approved is that once I really started checking corneal sensitivity more, I realized more was out there than what I really thought of before. And so I think, you know, just keeping thyroid eye disease at the top of mind. And if you're, you know, starting to treat someone and they're not improving, you have to really sort of take a step back and really assess that patient and and see okay what what am i missing what else is going on here 100% 100% so yeah i agree you know and then when we are the you know the hero of the day and diagnose this thyroid eye disease and and get the patient the appropriate care um we have to remember that they're still going to probably need dry eye care this you know isn't going to necessarily cure their dry eye or um we at least have to help treat their dry eye through their journey of thyroid eye disease um, so we have to be there for them from that standpoint. It, it doesn't exclude the dry, like you said, Jackie, great point. Um, the other big thing that I wanted to touch on is smoking. Um, Graves disease, so that thyroid disease um, and smoking is a huge risk factor, like five-fold increase in uh, thyroid eye disease in patients with Graves disease that smoke. So smoking can be a huge problem, and anyone we see with the diagnosis of Graves disease should be educated by every uh, healthcare provider they see that they really can't smoke. Like, um, you know, I bring this up a lot with patients and and most of them say it wasn't on my list of things to do today uh, to take up smoking, but um, but they really need to know the risk. Like smoking is is way riskier for you than than the average person. 
Yeah, such a debilitating disease from, you know, quality of life and appearance. Um, so, you know, anything we can do to prevent um, is huge. I would just say one, you know, final thought for me, when you talk about the care team and how you said, you know, sometimes it's good to have that team. This is a great example why, but not only does that help it's going to help actually generate more referrals for you, um, not only for your dry eye clinic, if you will, but um, you know, just being able to manage these patients with thyroid eye disease. So great outreach to endocrinology, right, and primary care, um, and even then the oculoplastic specialists in your area. I think it's a great way to just really set yourself apart. That's a great point. Yeah, all those oculoplastic doctors don't want to deal with dry eye. They may you know, have a lot of patients with dry eye issues. And, and if you make a good uh, working relationship, that's a great point, Leslie. All right, Jake, thanks so much for joining us and talking to us about your favorite topic, thyroid eye disease. <laughs> we appreciate your share, you sharing your expertise with us. Um, thanks so much for joining. No, thank you for having me, uh, ladies. It was always a pleasure to hang out with you guys and chat eyeballs. So thank you for the opportunity. Hope to see you in person soon. And now for the to the point wrap up. Thyroid eye disease is a condition that often can mimic symptoms of dry eye with watering and redness as some of the earliest symptoms. Remember this when you're treating your dry eye patients to think systemically and not just stay localized to the eye. New treatments with Tepeza have greatly improved quality of life for these patients and early intervention can really impact outcomes. 